0: Okay, so this week on Education, I have the pleasure of having James Lewis on. Now, if you haven't heard of James, you definitely would have seen his work. He does astonishing uh, sort of hand-lettered logos, but they're 3D. It's mad. I mean, I've watched him do it and I can't quite work out how he does it so beautifully and so efficiently. It all looks fantastic. So like I said, he caught my eye, but not only is he super talented, but when I learned more about James and spoke to him, I didn't realize just what an amazing man he is and what he's been able to achieve in such a short time. And I found his story, which I won't ruin it now, really inspirational. And I think he's a beautiful blend of Talent and generosity, and he's you know he gives so much back to his audience, and he's genuinely very successful at what he does. And I'm so thrilled to see his success. So it made sense to get him on so he could tell you about what he's up to, and share his story and give a few tips. So James, thank you for coming on.
1: That was an incredible introduction. Thank you so much. It's probably the nicest introduction that I've ever had on a podcast. I'm gonna I, cool. I'm well gonna it? every <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna get me. A- yes, this
0: is great. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, so, well, no, but it's true, man. Like I said, you're very generous with your time and you're super talented and humble and your work, I'm always, it's so, it's, it's really weird. It's kind of like really relaxing to watch too. I love watching all the stages of doing the 3D lettering and peeling it away and reveal and no, I mean, genuinely, I really, I'm a, I'm a big fan. So I'm I'm thrilled you agreed to come on.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to. I always love doing the podcasts, and um, I've done like public speaking and things like that before. Anything where I can sort of chat to another creative person is great. And then where other people get to listen and maybe, you know, well, hopefully take value from what we're talking about. That's, that's super important, you know, because I feel like we're all, even though we might be on different stages in our like career journey or our path, we're all walking the same sort of route of trying to become successful at what we enjoy.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And so for people who maybe haven't heard your like backstory, could you do like a, just a brief summary of kind of, how you got started? What 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 you've been your experience, and then what you've been up to lately? Is that okay? Yeah,
1: I'll, go, I'll do like the, from the beginning for those who don't know yeah. my story. So um, I was like really creative as a child. We're gonna go really back young now. So one of my first memories that I have, I'm probably like four or five years old, and I was sat in like an auditorium, and my name gets called out. I walk to the front of the stage, shake this guy's hand, and I had won the star prize, which is five pound for this drawing competition, and. I was like elated. I was like, Oh my God, I'm going to be the next Picasso. I'm going to buy like a hundred Freddos with this five pound. This is going to be the best day of my life. Um, so that, that was like my early on. I realized that, you know, you can be creative, have fun and potentially be compensated for it as well. So then fast forward a couple of years, unfortunately I went through some kind of awful situations. So both of my parents had passed away. I went from like sleeping on camp beds, sofas and things I ended up going to the local government explaining my situation and they came back to me and said that I was legally homeless because I had no fixed address. And I was like 16 then. So hearing that at 16 was like, um, you know, probably one of the hardest things that I've had to deal with. Um, you know, going through all those situations, my love for creativity had disappeared. I wasn't like really passionate about anything anymore. I was sort of just in a really low place as you can probably imagine. But thankfully, the local government, when they got involved, they helped support me to rent a room with, within a house of other people who were in similar situations. The lady whose house it was, she was lovely and she supported me and really inspired me to sort of do better. Like when, when I was in this situation, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And she was like, you're a smart kid. You can do what you want. You can go to university, just uh, find something you enjoy and then pursue that. So it was around that time that um, most people I knew, they were playing like a lot of video games so we were playing like call of duty things like that and it was really like one of the first generations of um online creators because what they were doing they were they were playing video games and then they were compiling clips of them together putting them on youtube and with that people needed sort of branding and then that side of it became way more interesting to me than the actual playing of the video games so while my friends were playing video games i was like editing their videos creating uh, like 3D animations for them, background graphics, logos. And then it got to a point, I was probably like 17, I realized that everything I was doing was sort of like focused around typography and uh, communicating ideas and messages through the typography. Uh, So that then became a huge passion of mine. I really dived deep into it, became like kind of obsessed with it. It was sort of where, where I applied my focus solely. And then by sharing my stuff on YouTube, uh, Behance, Instagram, I started to um, gain a self like a sense of self-worth. So by putting something out into the world and then people being receptive of it, people enjoying what I do, um, occasionally people commissioning me to create these animations and these backgrounds, it gave me a sense of self-worth where what I was putting out, people actually appreciated. So for like the first time in my life, I felt sort of worthy. And I felt that through this creative thing that I was doing. So then it got to, um, I was like 18 then. So I did that for like a year or two. Really, really enjoyed it. Obviously getting better the more and more I did it, which was really, really empowering as well. Then I had to make the decision whether or not to go to university. So, well, yeah, yeah. So it was like, it was a hard one for me. But then I was like, you know, I have this thing that I really enjoyed doing. Um, Do I pursue it or do I just sort of rest on my laurels and just do something kind of easy? So naturally, you know, I took, well, maybe not even naturally, I imagine there's a lot of people who didn't make this decision, but I chose to go to university and study graphic design, which was very similar to the sort of stuff that I was doing on YouTube. Um, I, I had never studied graphic design before. I got kicked out of art class at like 14. So so it was like a huge jump for me. It was really, really scary. But um, I, I felt within myself that this was the right thing to do. And I had, because of um, the sort of situations that I've gone through, I had that in a drive within me to sort of make it happen, like um,
0: yeah,
1: when you when you like lose people in your life, you sort of realize how sort of finite life can be because you know they both passed away quite early and it wasn't expected. So that sort of reaffirmed to me that okay, well, I only have a finite time here. I may as well make the most of it and do something like joy. Yeah. So then in uni, I basically I studied graphic design in the day and then in the evenings I'd explore lettering calligraphy typography, hand lettering, just anything to do with letters. I was a super like nerd and I loved it, you know? (laughs) Like it it was so fun just to sort of sit around and then just chat to other typography people people around the world who were really interested. We formed like a little group called the Linkagry Collective, which I manage now and that's really grown into something completely different, which is really cool to see. And then, yeah, it was sort of, I developed then the self-worth through this and then I developed a sense of community and a tribe. Yeah, And then those two things came together when i joined instagram and then i basically just used the same formula that i was doing on youtube um on on instagram and then i guess over the past i don't know what that's like four or five years ago now i've grown like a really large following people appreciate what i do and i was able to make a living um but i was able to leave university and go straight into a freelance career that was successful because of everything i had learned in the following that i built up and then I guess the sort of business side of things that i'd like learned from just doing
0: yeah no that's what was it that um i was a couple of things i was just curious what drew you to letters in the first place it's not a pun just i'm just curious because obviously i went to uni and did graphic design but i i hated typography because it was like more editorial and all the kerning and the leading it, it drove me mad like how sort of um tight it was but then it's one of those things that um as you said, you, you were really drawn to letters and you would meet, you would sort of chat with other calligraphers. So what was it that really attracted you?
1: So like when I was doing the, the YouTube things, uh, like the animations, the, the backgrounds, it was all focused on typography and it wasn't, Mm -hmm. I wasn't like basically aware of it at the time. So it was basically what we'd do, what we would do is, um, say like a YouTuber had his name, like, I don't know, XXX Quickscopes or something. Um, yeah, yeah. I have to turn that into something visually interesting whether it was on his youtube yeah. background or like a short animation and then just by doing that for so long and because you know you don't want your work to be the same every time so i was looking into different typefaces i was really exploring yeah. ways to create my own fonts which at the time was impossible i had no idea what i was doing but then i think that was the part that sort of really really inspired me because i could i picked up photoshop relatively easy picked up illustrator relatively easy but then when it came to typography there, there was a whole other world and there, it, and it yeah. was a big challenge for me to sort of, first of all, create letters that looked like letters <laughs> and then create letters yeah. were letters, but then it also contained meaning within them based on, I don't know, where, where they were being placed or how they were drawn, what style they were referencing. So I think it, yeah. it was just sort of the challenge of trying to focus on like some one really small thing, uh, like typography, but then seeing how far I can sort of push that. Yes.
0: Yeah, so it almost sounds like they were kind of blurring. It's almost like logotypes, you know, so there's a lot more meaning and they had to represent something as you were sort of developing them.
1: Yeah, definitely. Like I've, like obviously I did editorial things in university, but most of the work that I was doing back then, and even up until like a year or two ago was logo design, logo type custom lettering for logos. And it's, I like the idea yeah. of you take one word or sometimes even just like a few letters and you really perfect those letters or the, that word into communicating what what the brand believes in or what the message is they're trying to get across.
0: Yeah, no, that makes sense. I always remember, is it the guy, is it Mackie Saturday who did the Instagram logo? And it, you can look at it originally and just think it's a simple hand letter thing, but you just know yeah, he's slaved away at that crafting every little little turn and corner just to convey that sense of personality. So like you say, it's kind of that attention to details is so important.
1: Yeah. And and like, yeah, you look at the Instagram logo and it feels like Instagram. You know, it it has that playfulness to it. Which I And then like you look at like Facebook logo and it feels like Facebook, you know. It's quite like clean and it's crisp. And it's like, listen, this is who we are. This is what we do. We get it done. Whereas Instagram is a little more playful. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's really incredible for me just to see how you can create a word that means something other than just the letters that they are. Like there's, an, there's almost like a deeper meaning mm-hmm. to it. I quite like that that idea.
0: Are there any kind of logos that you remember that you kind of uh, you're still fond of today? I just think because my son, he well, he wants a YouTube channel. He's never consistent enough, but he enjoys doing the graphics like for yeah. it. And uh, so I've seen that side of it and he gets really into it. And I was just wondering, is there any like, uh, have you still got any designs that you're still fond of when you think back?
1: Yeah, well, I think one of the first ones that like really I looked at and was like, wow, that's incredible. How did that come about was the, the Coca-Cola logo. And it's, you know, yeah. it's got a really fluid script font to it. And um, if you look into it, it's got a really cool like progression. Like it was first like written out in like copper plate calligraphy and then it was slowly refined and then hand lettered. And like, that was really interesting to me, and it was actually one of the reasons that I um learned copperplate calligraphy because I wanted to try and replicate that coca-cola logo
0: oh wow I'm actually funny enough when I was in an agency years ago, a guy a calligrapher came in and did like a workshop yeah and i I just did I was like you do it and he and he was amazing and you're like this is great but i, I I, I don't know, man. I don't know how you're going to get work. I can't yeah. see any future in calligraphy, stupidly. Yeah. Like just really naive, like fresh out of uni going, yeah, I don't know if there's much m- money in lettering or anything. It's like that is absolutely, he's probably in a mansion now. But it was fascinating. He could just replicate the same like letter forms again and again and again. He had these amazing sort of um, like metal quills and all this. It was, it was astonishing. And it's yeah. interesting to hear you say that obsession with like noticing the details and letters because obviously – a lot of your work currently, you're kind of dissecting famous logos at the moment, aren't you, and a lot of your work on recreating that and it's interesting because i could I could look at it and go, oh he's just copying logos, but this is goes far deeper. This is something you've been into for a long time, and that would explain probably why when I look at them, they're so good. I'm like, how does he do that yeah. this makes a lot of sense now,
1: yeah, it is it's like I'm combining my my like two favorite things it's it's logos because I've been designing logos since I was like sixteen. And then it's painting, which is sort of um, a more recent thing that I've been getting into. And it's is something that I really, really enjoy. I've taken reference from like sign painting and things, which is obviously a lot more typography. And then merging those things in together to, like you said, make something kind of fresh and new. And it's it's also good practice as well. Like my brush skill, for example, has improved massively just doing these um, painted logos because they're not made for sign painters. So like if you're doing sign painting and yeah. typography, you can do those brush strokes in like, you can do those letters in about four brush strokes but when you're painting logos that aren't designed to be sign painted that you have to figure out different ways and there's you know there's a whole different technical side of it which is where I'm using these logos as practice and then I'm trying to like engage people on Instagram have like a little fun with it and then also like I get you know messages from some of these companies and they're like, oh this is really cool thank you for like giving us a shout out and then some companies are like, oh we've just had a rebrand can you paint our logo? And then we'll pay you. And I'm like, oh wow, you know, it's one of those things you just you're doing it for fun, and then you do it for fun for so long. People are like, oh, can we give you money to do that for us? And it's like, whoa, weird. Well,
0: yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's quite nice. But I get again, it's the quality. It's it's that thing of you're very good at documenting the journey and the process, and um it's not easy because you give them like a 3D full of feel, don't you? So it's it's more than just. Like I know, is it, is it, there's a guy, I want to say Vergottis, the guy who does like really cool logos quite quickly with marker pens. Um, like, what's his name? He's got like...
1: Seb Lester.
0: Seb Lester, that's it. So it's like he's, he's, but he, but yours are different because you've got their 3D, aren't they? That's what's so impressive. There's kind of a real sense of perspective in them, which I think elevates them beyond just a standard logo.
1: No pun intended. <laughs> yeah. yeah, <laughs> it does elevate it, but you're right. And I think it's, well, the one I started doing it—it it was about finding a, a way, basically, to sort of stand out on Instagram. And again, puns. But um, it, it is when you're scrolling through, and there's just loads of flat images, and then you see one that sort of like switches your perception a little bit because the way the camera's placed and the way it's painted, it looks kind of 3D. And then it's also a recognizable um, logo. It attracts attention, and I think as a creative these days, you need to find a sort of balance between doing what you love and then also getting attention on the work that you're doing yes and i think that's been where where i've been lucky enough to sort of catch trends and realize things really quickly is i guess the video like you were saying the videos i create they're so tailored to instagram and people scrolling through you know they're really short snappy they're edited to music there's no shots that are over like 1.5 seconds because i want to be like retaining people's interest they're like 30 seconds long but then they're so sort of digestible That people will like watch one in the feed and then they'll go onto mine and they'll watch like 10 videos because they're so short and just easily watchable. And I think by doing that, like, I'm not saying it doesn't matter what I paint, but just having that sort of formula, it really helps people to um, see some more of my work. So, say, for example, they see the, the Marvel one I did, that one really blew up. That one had like a million views. And I imagine a lot of people who just love Marvel were like, that's really cool. And then they went onto my page and they were like, oh, wait a second. He's actually doing other things, lettering, not just logos. And then they appreciate sort of my my story as well and what I'm doing. I think that's really important to find that balance.
0: I like the fact that also it's kind of, you're not doing it just for attention. So it's not like, oh, I'll just jump on the bandwagon of Marvel and do something. It's a nice thing of, no, no, this is the kind of style I've been doing for a long time. I, it, I'm i genuinely into it, but you're clever enough to balance culture moments to kind of yeah. make it relevant because yeah. it's in the night guide. I think, again, that that strategic, I, I like the fact you're talking about there's a consideration. so it's kind of can I balance what I'm into, but also I've got to think about my audience and the platform I'm on. You know, people are scrolling, they haven't got much attention spans, so I've got to make it snap compelling, but you're dragging people in. And I think there's always that's like that's where people struggle because they think, well, if I post often enough, that should be enough, but I'm not getting any more following or anything. Yeah, and I really love. and you mentioned earlier you were saying there was almost like a formula to how you got started with YouTube and then you applied that to Instagram. So could you just break down what the, what was that formula you you tried?
1: Yeah. So it it was sort of developed over a long period of time where I would create something that I'm genuinely interested in. It was never like something contrived. It wouldn't be something that I saw someone else do. And I was like, Oh, I'll try that. It was always something genuinely interesting to me because then that would always um, come across in what I create. So whether it was um, like a piece of lettering of a quote that I read in a book, like it, you know, it'd have to be something personal to be. So I'd create something then I would sort of share it with the world. And at the time, I'd like request feedback. So like I said, I had um, the group, the Ligature Collective, there were like 30 lettering artists around the world. I'd get those guys to give me feedback on what I'm doing. They would comment, they would sort of give me that um, sort of validation saying, like, oh, this is good, this is bad. This is cool to see you improve. So then you, you know, you're putting something out there. You're getting that initial response, which is sort of positive from your friends. And then you refine what you're doing and then share that whole process. So instead of just sharing the one thing you've created, you're sharing the whole process getting to that. And before I would do it, just um, like small photos, then I was doing on YouTube, like time lapses and things like that. And then I, I realized the more transparently you share things, even like the things that mess up, like transparently share everything, all the process, and then you'll get even more feedback. And then what I noticed is that with, um, So I was putting out work that I liked, sharing the whole process, getting good feedback. And then off the back of that, I would then get requests for clients who want exactly what I've created because I'm interested in it and they can see it's garnering attention. So then with Mm -hmm. client work, I'm doing the exact same process where I get the client. um, Obviously, we go through the whole business side of things. We realize what they want. Then I share that whole process. And then that also inspires other people. And to come and give me feedback, I ask my friends, what do they think? And then other clients can then see, oh, he goes through this whole process. And it's not just like he's churned out a logo in a day. So then the loop continues where I'm creating what I enjoy. People people respond to it well. And then I'm getting work off the back of it. And I'd say that's the sort of formula that I use still today.
0: Yeah. So like you say, you document the process to show... The, the context of the logo, that's always massive because it gets you to share your story. And, and again, if you're if you're that way inclined, but you're really paying attention to like crafting the letters in a certain way. There's a lot of refinement yeah. that is often unseen at first, but is kind of crucial to making the difference between anything. It's that thing of uh, it's like like a sculptor. You know, you've got to get it absolutely spot on and you've got to keep going and going and going until it's perfect the difference between 90 and 95% completion is fairly similar to someone with the untrained eyes. So you have to show what went in it before to go, no, no, this is not just me. I'm not, it's not a machine. I'm yeah. this is, there's a lot of, and I think that's important to show There's consideration and thought and time and effort put into it. And that will, again, that elevates your value because people are going, okay, he's really crafting something unique for us.
1: Yeah. hundred percent. And I think like exactly what you said, like showcasing the whole process, the difference, between myself and most people is that and it's also I, th- I think what, what I do is a little bit different to other people is sort of I try and stay away from digital as much as possible and then the, the sort of craft comes through and I'm not saying there's not craft in digital stuff because I was doing digital stuff for a long time and I still do it and there is a massive craft mm. it, but it's sometimes hard to showcase that process in you know, like an engaging and interesting way yeah so I think by like going back like to do like I do pencil drawings Um, I paint and like trying to keep it visually interesting like that as well and stick to sort of traditional means. I think that that's another way that I sort of keep people's attention. And then obviously try and tie in digital elements like the logos and things. I don't know. I think there's something there, but it's something I can't really articulate. I don't know why.
0: No, that makes sense. I think, uh, well, like you say, it's, it's whether you're going to be different. We always see the finished polished look, And we don't often see what went into it. And I know that when I was paying more attention to Instagram, the sketches of of work, which is the stuff you normally wouldn't show, is what people really respond to because because that gives them the insight. And I think it gives them a bit of hope that okay, so he starts like us from scratch with rough sketches, and there's an there's an evolution of just layering it up and getting better and better. But it is it is exactly that. I think they like to see you know, how the sausage is made to a certain extent because it gives you credibility as an artist. It's not just in the world of Fiverr and templates and all that kind of, you know, you can buy all that pre-done. Um, it's like there's that guy um, who runs in 1924 US, that Christian Watson, is it? Have you yeah, said, come across it. him?
1: Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: Yeah, <laughs> his, his whole thing is everything is hand-drawn yeah. and then he digitized it afterwards. And he's, I mean, he's uber hipster cool, but I can't stop watching kind of because I love the tones in his work and the colors of the photography. But it is absolutely, there's something more valuable about something which has been made for you. It's like haute couture. It's like, you know, it's anything. It's made specifically for someone. And we love to see how it's made. I think probably because we can learn a little bit and maybe that often designers like to copy or steal or you know develop, but also clients want to know what they're paying for. And it's like, well, if I'm paying quite a lot for this logo, Mm. it gives me a sense of satisfaction that there's a, a lot of work has gone into it. It justifies that I was right to invest in this guy.
1: That's so true because um, a lot of my clients, they say that sort of when they come to me and I design a logo and I share with them the whole process and I tell them why that I've drawn it this way, what I'm referencing, what style is, what this style is sort of communicating and they can see that and get back to me. They're so much more connected to the logo. And then I I see that because obviously it's their business, I want them to be connected to it. So sharing this stuff that I didn't share before, like why I'm doing it is so, so important. And again, like the process. And I can see that across um, sort of all design, advertising, everything these days, because people people are more interested in be having like more of a human touch. As things to get more digital. People are looking for sort of more realistic human connection. So like I've noticed yeah. huge, huge growth in sign painting over the past like five, six years, because people are sort of bored with these plastic signs and they feel like, People connect a lot what they do people connect a lot more to something handmade so having mm-hmm. having them come having a sign painter come along paint some signs, and you know that's good Instagram content for them as well you know they can share that whole process that engages people walking past people like see that the company is interested in helping local creatives and that there's a whole there's a whole side to it that then I guess maybe like ten years wasn't so much popular but now so. People are interested in supporting people more so. Whether it's for, whether it's because they really appreciate the craft, or it's because they're smart business people and they realise that that's what's doing well at the moment. But um, e- either way, I think it's a positive thing. It's positive change that's happening.
0: No, I think you're right. There's a guy I follow called the Able Dude who does a lot of like lettering in London for restaurants. Yeah, I know. And not only is he, his work's great, and it's like I love looking at it visually, but as you say, he's very good at showcasing what he's up to. And if you're running that business, like he does a lot for like Rosa's Thai Cafe, I can remember it. Why do I know that place? Yeah. And I was in Carnaby Street a while ago around there and you go, Oh, that's the place. And I was like, I was more like interested in looking at his lettering than the menu. But at least I was like kind of in I was like, Well, I like Thai food. I could have lunch here. I could it gives me an excuse to go in and check out his wool menu. Yeah. But it was kind of like you say, there's there's a real thing of like we're celebrating the artist. we there's so much to be gained alongside just the simple you get a new logo is building into the purpose of your brand we're championing talented people and helping showcase them because we want to support people we believe in and that's that's massive nowadays
1: 100 it's it's the, you know it's the difference between a logo and a brand isn't it like the brand is the whole story and, and if you can mm. communicate artists creative people interesting stories and narratives within that brand then it it becomes Something that people engage with, like you said, with the with the restaurant, there you engage with it because because of that narrative that they built. That like they they deal with people who you're interested in, and then that makes you mm. in that company. Yeah, it's cool. It's cool. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think it's really good. I think it's it's the irony of there's a lot of people doing it and people are appreciating it, but it's it's kind of it brings me on to another movement that you'd started called Our Time Has Value, which I think is particularly pertinent just as we're talking, because I think we can see the value that these people add to a business. And hopefully there are enough clients that will appreciate that as well, but it's not easy to find them. It's, and it's certainly not easy. You know, that thing of attracting them takes a bloody long time to attract someone. You need to be able to identify them and kind of get that relationship working faster. And I think in, in the, in between time, of where you're building your confidence and your skill set and waiting for those great clients to come along. The danger is you have to take on work to pay the bills. And often that scarcity mindset means that we're very vulnerable as creative people to being taken advantage of yeah. by opportunist clients. And I think when I heard about your Our Time Has Value movement, I felt this was hugely important because I hear it all the time. People get, you know, they're getting ripped off and abused by clients. And I don't always think it's the client's fault. I think a lot of it is kind of they're allowing it to happen to themselves. But I don't I don't see many clients going, do you know what? We were a bit shitty there. How about we pay you a little bit extra to say sorry, because we feel a bit good. I've never heard that one. I've no, certainly it. heard creators going the other way of going, oh, I'm sorry, I'll take some money off. So could you just tell us a little bit more about that? our time has value, how that came about and what it stands for and how people can get involved?
1: Yeah, so the the Our Time has Value uh, campaign started with the realization that like you said, a lot of creative people are being taken advantage of. Um, especially the, the younger creative people who don't have, I guess, the mindset or the business acumen to realise the value that the work that they're doing has for this company. So it was a process that I went through going well, within university, seeing my friends go through similar situations and then coming out and having to start up my own freelance business. It was it was difficult because being a young creative like you said there's opportunists out there who see you they can see your skill set and they naturally being business people they want to spend as little as they can to maximize profits but i think the main issue was the again i guess the mindset of the creative which wasn't valuing their work and then with them not valuing it they can't then communicate to the client the value of their work so there's like a negative downward spiral where they don't believe in their work, the creative, and then the business owner doesn't believe in the value of their work. So the business owner wants to pay as little as possible. And then the the creative then sort of accepts that or even like lowers their rates because they can't then communicate the value of their work. And by value, I kind of mean um, sort of like the importance. Like we were talking about the whole sign painting thing. There's, there's levels to that. That's not just the final product. So they're paying so say for example i commission a sign painter now to come and paint my storefront i'm not just paying for the final storefront i'm paying for the whole process of a creative person to infuse my company with his values with his skill set with his story and there's so much more value in that that then i guess a lot of people couldn't communicate Mm -hmm. um i got a good story actually so i was in sweden this last weekend and I met a girl out there, she was, um, she was living in France. She was doing an internship after she studied, um, I'm not sure, I think it was like architectural design. But basically she was interning at a nominal fee, like very, very small per month. And she designed for this company that she was interning at, a whole range that, well, their whole range of furniture. So she did tables, she did chairs, she did stools. She designed their whole range. And I said to her, you know, are you getting royalties for that? Are you gonna be getting paid, you know, extra amount based on their sales? Are you have you got um I don't know, have you got any revenue within that company that you've basically designed that whole product range for? And she's like, No, they paid me X amount of money, which wasn't much per month. And I was like, I was blown away by it. I was like, that company is literally and this cheers and the, Oh my God, the stuff she designed was incredible. It was so, so nice. Yeah. And she was so smart with it as well. Like she had done it in such, um, she designed it in like an economical way so that it was relatively cheap to produce beautiful looking. And yeah, she had basically defined this business's brand values through this first range that they produced and got paid next to nothing for it. And it kind of broke my heart in that moment because if she was smart with it and, that business does really well, then she could be, you know, so much more well off and then she could hope, like, she mm. wanted to start her own practice and say, for example, that that did well and she made good money, then she could easily invest that money into beginning her own practice. Mm. And I, I think stories, stories like that happen all the time. It happened to me when I was starting up, like clients who got in touch and they they wanted a logo, for example, and I was like, okay, here's what I do. I can show them some logos and then I would get back to them with like sketches and like say, I'd spend like, A couple hours and they were like, okay, yeah, let's see that one like progress. And then because I didn't have like the business acumen at the time, so I didn't like, didn't ask for deposits, I didn't have any contracts in place. And I'd get pretty much to the end of the project where I've like hand drawn 10 logos, vectorized one for like four hours, like pulling vector nodes for days. Um, And then they're like, ah, we don't like it. And I'm like, oh, but, but I've spent all this time and they're like, oh, sorry, bye. And it's like, oh, damn, like, how do I deal with that? So, yeah with with the our time as value campaign I was trying to put ideas out there that that would, that would help people basically um to help people deal with this and then I wanted also people to get involved and that's that's where like the the campaign sort of took off so i sort of put a call i put a call on call to action out there and I got people to letter the phrase our time as value or create like an illustration with it or basically just put put the word out there that they are no longer going to be taken advantage for, of for their creative work. So we had around a 1,000 people, a 1,000 creative people around the world who submitted an artwork um, basically stating that their time has value and that they will no longer be taken advantage of by clients or friends or people who wanted designs from them for either next to nothing or free. And it was incredible because within, within that time, the campaign was – pushed out far and wide, people were talking about it all over all over Instagram, Facebook. I had so many messages from people who were like, This is great. I'm so glad that um, I was able to sort of jump on this campaign with you and share how I feel about it. Even just by people sharing their stories, other people learned from it. They were um, yeah, they were sharing their experience and how they dealt with it. And then that was massive value for anyone looking at their posts, looking at the hashtags, things like that. Within that time, I had um, so many messages of people like, asking me questions like, oh, I have this client right now. He's saying this to me. How do I deal with it? And it, it was sort of, it was tough for me because, you know, I'm only one person and I was getting like 10 to 20 messages a day. So I was trying to, um, I was working with a guy in America then we were trying to develop a course basically to teach people how to do these sort of, how to value their own work and how to sort of sell it to a business without you know, jeopardizing their creative craft, except what they enjoy. But um, that process sort of unfolded and it didn't, that didn't really go to plan. And then like most things on social media, sort of, I'd say after like a month and a half, two months of the campaign starting, anyone who wanted to get involved, they had already got involved. And then there was probably like another campaign that came along or another call to action that then people jumped on. And I, wouldn't, I don't think it was forgotten about at all. But I think it's one of those things that now it's just sat at the back of people's minds. And I want to find ways yeah. how to sort of bring it back and um, raise more awareness on it.
0: Yeah, no, I think it's a really important thing. It, I certainly come across it a lot. It's the balance of the lack of belief. I think it's it, like you say, it's a vicious cycle. It's like, if you don't know how to sell your work, then you don't really understand how much potentially it could be worth to a client, which means you're, you're automatically underpricing. And if you continually take on work, which isn't, well priced, or you feel you're, you're over delivering for the price you're getting, it can grind you down. And I think it's that thing of if you're always being forced to p- charge 500 pounds for a logo design, and at first you're happy with that, but that's kind of set your limit and you can't break that mindset, you're never going to get to the stage where people are paying five grand for a logo or 15 or whatever it is. And it's only when you realize that that's possible, if you're holding the right conversations and positioning yourself as adding this value, like you said that mindset can cripple you. So I do think it's it's massive to to kind of talk about it. And I know we've worked a little bit on it as well. So I do think it's, I think the concept is timeless, because it happens all the time. Um, like you say, it's, it's finding that solution of trying to help people um, who are already in a tough place in the best way possible. So I think like if anyone in the group is is having these problems, I do believe it's something they should probably, you know, reach out to James about. And maybe we can talk about ways to keep it going, like you say, keep momentum and trying to find a solution?
1: Yeah, of course. Any way that anyone can get in touch to help us move on this campaign, definitely please do so. Um, me and Thad, we worked on a presentation deck, didn't we, to um, we pitched yeah. to big companies, so myself, uh, Ian Bernard, Stephen Cunns, we were going to come together and sort of perpetuate this Our time has value idea through companies and creative spaces and try to bring awareness to the issue whilst also providing actionable tips to help people deal with it
0: yeah no i think i think i still i still believe in it i think uh it's it's a great balance all three of you guys are, are, are talented and successful so you've broken past kind of that mindset to achieve success so there's something that people can learn from that in itself and they can admire your talent But also, I think, as you say, it's like from businesses to get involved, it's good for them to be showcasing the success of you guys to help other people on the the way up. And that's very much we all want to help each other as we progress through our careers. And so I do think there is a huge amount of value in certainly bigger brands, you know, even people like WeWork who have, you know, remote office spaces and co-working spaces. It's absolutely what they should be doing is getting you guys in to educate there's people who are, who are renting out their offices, but also shine, have showcased them in a more positive light. So I do believe, you know, if anyone knows any big brands who's listening, whether that, you know, anything from Google to Facebook to whoever, but also we work in any of these office companies or any forward thinking agencies, I do believe that they're backing winners. That's the truth. Mm-hmm. It can't do them any harm to have the brand association with you guys, but also the positivity of actually drawing out and attracting really talented workers for future projects and collaborations. So I think it's a win-win. I just think it's that thing of getting it in front of enough people, maintaining the awareness consistently. And then probably the future stages, as you said, are kind of how do we develop a framework? So when people um are struggling with this, they have somewhere to turn, like a sort of 12-step program where it's gonna go, you're gonna come in we're going to rebuild you and send you out and you're going to be much more confident, and successful. And then if you want to pay that forward, we might invite you back to host workshops and, and whatever. And I think something sustainable like that is, is good for the creative industry, because I still believe it's not necessarily clients. A lot of it is kind of, if I hire someone like you to do work, I know that, you know, it cost isn't really about it, because I know that the value you're going to bring in intangibles to my Project or what I'm working on is huge. Through awareness on social media, through credibility, to raising my brand value, giving me something to talk about, the opportunity to work with someone who's you know got a sharp mind and is well connected. All these are all these weird intangibles that you bring to the table that someone else on Fiverr doesn't, and that's what they have to yeah. understand. So you know,
1: yeah. it's huge. So true, and it, and it's, diff- it's sometimes it's difficult on the client to sort of um, get that across, right? And then also to the company, like we, like you said, you know, we pitched this to a few people. Um, I, 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 don't know, like the sort of response that we got, but, um, I think, I think there's so much value within like, like you were saying, bring out the creative community. And I think anyone who I speak to, not even in the creative community, they, they just want to help other people. I think we all as people have yeah. sort of innate desire within us to help others, you know, that like, there's no better feeling than someone coming to you with an issue, you giving them a solution. And then seeing them happy as a result of it like that's incredible and it's one of the main reasons why i um i reply to like all of the inboxes i get and sometimes Mm -hmm. that that's a hindrance because sometimes i wake up with like a hundred if i put out like a a question on my story and i have to then spend the next hour like the hour after i wake up just replying to everyone but then i see you know a week later someone will come back to me and they're like oh i took that inspiration and then I've applied it to my business and I've seen a big growth from it or I'm no longer being yeah. taken advantage of by this client because I told them this sentence that you told me to say to them. And like, that's, that's an amazing feeling. And I think, like you said, if we could scale that up in some way in the future so that people could, um, learn from it and then also benefit from it as well. I think it's really, really important, especially now. Yeah, absolutely. I will. Yeah. Final thing, <laughs> especially because the, the um, I guess, oh, what's it called? So like the amount of people freelancing these days is massive. And I think the the trajectory of it, the amount of people who will be freelancing in the future, it's, it's only going to grow. So we, I think there's very few sort of regulations around being your own boss. And there's very few um, things sort of telling you what to do. You know, you have to sort of pave your own path. So I think sort of like a syllabus or something like that, that I could put out there, we could put out there that would help people. I think there's big value in that.
0: Absolutely. Well, like I said, it's kind of, um, we did this deck and it went into Google who loved it. I think one of the sticking points was as part of the, what we proposed was like a mural and they don't own their building. So that was one of like, that was a bit tricky for them. But as far as the content and the context of the deck they really liked what the message was so really it's just a case of I've got a couple of people lined up in the new year to talk to so I do I think this will be destined for big things and like I said anyone who's listening who is open to it or who wants to get these guys to come in you know just send us a message because I do think there's a huge amount of value to be sort of gained from inviting people of this quality into your business definitely. Mm definitely. And also speaking about that, you do a lot of workshops. I know you casually dropped like I was in Sweden <laughs> last weekend, and then you've been in Singapore and America. So t- how did all that come about? So like, tell us about that. So you, this is where you're doing your lettering, you're kind of what you're sharing on Instagram, you're now teaching others. Is that right?
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. So it started, um, I guess it was last October, was the, the first workshop I did. And it was actually like in Indonesia, which was crazy. So basically, I obviously, I'm putting out all the work on Instagram. Uh, people see the 3D lettering that I create, and a lot of people try and sort of replicate it, which is fine. I love it when people replicate what I do. I'm not one of those artists who are like, don't copy me. I think it's, you know, it's completely acceptable. Like when I first started, just as practice, I'd look at other people's work and try to understand how they created it. But um, yeah. a lot of people, they look at the 3D lettering stuff I do, and they don't realize the sort of technical side to it. So it's very it's quite rigid in the way that I create these letters to give that illusion of debt. Um, so I basically got requested to go out to Indonesia last year to teach it. So I was naturally, I was like, Oh, well, of course, <laughs> obviously I'm going to do that. <laughs> but um, so yeah, I went out to Indonesia and I lined up um, like a little tour. So we did um, two workshops in Indonesia, then a workshop in Milan. So I flew out to Indonesia, then flew to Milan and I had a workshop in Cardiff. So Within the first like two weeks of me doing workshops, I had done like five workshops and I had like understood basically how to teach what I was doing. And I think that was, that was yeah. for me because it's one thing to know something, like know your craft, but then when you have to know it to the extent where you have to teach people who's like they, their first language isn't even English, you really have to break it yeah. into the most fundamental steps in the most plain English and easiest way you can do it. So that was like massively rewarding for me to like travel around the world, meet incredible people who are interested in what I do, teach them, and then I guess off the back of that, that I developed a sort of a love and a passion for teaching people. Um, yeah, so the workshops I do now, like this year, I was did like we did a U.S. tour in October with Good Type. Um, so we toured in New York, San Francisco, Austin. Then I was at a creative conference in Arkansas called Made by Few. Um, I did a workshop there. I painted a mural and I gave a talk. So that was a busy couple of days. Then after that, I went to Singapore, taught in Singapore. uh, Like I said, Sweden last weekend. And I taught in London the week before. So it's, it's an incredible way because the, a lot for a long time, a lot of the work I was doing was quite insular. So as like a freelance Mm. creative um, for a little while, I was working on my own sort of in my bedroom after uni. And then I've got like an office space with some friends and another graphic design company. So that's nice. But then I guess their main thing is in typography, you know? So, Having having the opportunity to travel and meet people who are very interested in exactly what I am, it sort of made my creative practice so much more um, exciting because I knew then that these people were out there. Because even though like I have a quite large Instagram following, it's it's kind of a number on a screen unless people are messaging you and saying like yeah. hey, like or like engaging with your content more so. But then actually going out and meeting these people and teaching them and then watching their skill set progress because of what I taught them. That's massive. And I, I love that. I really do. So hopefully, well, next year I'm planning uh, a bigger tour. But um I've not figured out the dates yet or where I want to go. But yeah, lots more workshops on the horizon.
0: Yeah, it's interesting you say like you say you need to understand it and break it down so it can be repeated. And that's quite that's not easy at all, is it? That but it is a kind of it's such a business thing having a process and like having a formula that works and breaking it down and like you say the depth of understanding needed to teach it properly, especially to people who can't speak who English isn't their first language, is extraordinary. So it sounds like you kind of it was good fun, but it really you, you developed and really grew as a designer and as a person pushing yourself to go through this.
1: Oh, massively. Massively. Um yeah, I didn't mention I taught in Tokyo as well this year and they half of those didn't speak any English. So I had a translator there. Well, And they were, some of them had never even seen, like, they never really took the time to look at English characters, uh, like in English. So, um, I had Clarendon as one of the font examples and they were like, does every a have to look like this a, and I'm like, no. So we have different fonts and things like that. And they were Oh, so do we. And that was, that was incredible as well. And like you said, you, you have to break it down for people like that so they can actually understand it properly. And then they can take the the sort of skill set, and then apply that to yeah. their own whatever their own practice is. And I, I guess I sort of have that formula with everything I do, where I have the sort of like the rigid guidelines of how to do it, but then there's also the creative aspect, and you've got to try and like marry those two things together.
0: Yeah, it's tricky. But uh, I like what you said about teaching how it makes you feel good, but it also forces you to to learn and hone your craft. So I think that's, um, I'd imagine that's something, would you encourage everyone to who should try a little bit teaching as well?
1: Oh, definitely. I mean, 100%. Like if say, for example, if I spend 10 hours today and tomorrow learning um, how to create proper video in my own home, so like lighting systems, camera rigs, um, I learned that whole process, okay? It took me 10 hours. If I could teach it to you in one hour, there's huge value in that for you. You don't have to spend those nine hours searching that I did. And I mean, there's a lot of people out there who think that if you're teaching, you have to be the most professional person. You have to be the best at what you're doing. Like When, when I first started teaching, I was not, I was not the best at typography. There's probably still people out there who are better than me at 3D typography, but I had knowledge and skills that people wanted to learn. So then I went and did it. And then by teaching, I learned it even better. So I learned so much more about 3D lettering and typography whilst teaching than I did the whole five, six years when I was just learning independently. So I definitely encourage Mm. to teach hundred percent.
0: And I think that, yeah, I spoke to a lady called Melinda Livesey and she, one thing she does is it's almost, she teaches to cement her knowledge. So she was running an online course and as she was doing stuff in her business, she would then teach it that week in the Facebook group. So it's that thing of by her learning it, like say running through a client and onboarding them or doing something, she would then, Go okay. If I teach this to others, it's going to force me to examine my process, refine it, really understand it, break it down, and then actually I get a huge satisfaction. Everyone wins, and I think that's really that's the value. It's not really about who's the best in the room, who's the expert. It's really just if you know a little bit more than me, then and you share that. That's all it is. It's just I always try and explain to people. It's like if you're walking down a path, it's like it's you're just a bit further along, so you can point out the puddles and the things I should avoid. That's nice. you're not trying to be condescending or you're not seeing yourself as, as an expert. And again, I think if I also say, if you were cooking a roast for the first time, you'd expect it to taste horrible. Yeah. So you'd expect probably maybe 10 roasts before it got somewhat. Okay. Yet when people do things in the first time, they, they're not very good. They like hammer themselves. And it's like, you wouldn't do this in anything else in life. You weren't born speaking French. It might take a while to learn it, That's you know? So yeah, no, and it- if people want to keep, Go
1: on. It's exactly that. Like, you know, we're all walking a path. Like I mentioned earlier, like we're, we're all trying to get better at what we're doing and there's no ceiling to it. There's not going to be one day where mm. I wake up and I'm like, Oh, okay. So that's me done. I've done lettering. Now Like, there's always going to be something more yeah. interesting that I can do, whether it's like the lettering side of my business or it's like the financial side or it's the, the workshops. Um, like for example, now I'm looking into doing online workshops because, I'm only one person. I can't travel and teach everyone as much as I'd love to, and I'm trying. So I've been doing online workshops recently. Um, I had one that came out yesterday that we filmed uh, February earlier this year. That was um, based on a 3D stencil technique that I've been developing. And then coming 2019, I'm going to do an online course for the 3D lettering workshop, which is the one that I've been touring these past two years. And I think Amazing. that's a whole other thing that I've got to learn, you know, how to do an online course, how to market it, how to um, I guess, build up an audience for it, how to price it, doing the whole video side of things like I mentioned. And like, you know, there's there's no end to it. There there's always gonna be something mm. more that you're that you're needing to learn. And I think by having teachers who know those things, then you it's gonna save you so much time.
0: Absolutely. And I think that's that's a nice way to bring it to the end because I know your time is busy. But if people want to do your course and they want to look at your lettering and they want to follow you or maybe just DM you and you know, take up all your time in the morning, where are the best – because also you've got that amazing Versa font as well, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, that yeah. That
1: typeface, that like 15 exactly. layers. Yeah, so the, the best way to check out my stuff is to check me out on Instagram, which is at jamesllewis. Or you can go to my website to yeah. see the full body of my work, which is jamesllewis.com. Yeah. Feel free to, yeah, in message me on Instagram. Let me know that you hear this podcast. It's really cool when I find out that people are interested in what I say and they find a bit of value in it. Like that makes me realize that okay, what I'm doing is worthwhile. So yeah, feel free to get yeah. in touch. Uh, check out my work. If you want to talk about projects, again, just get in touch on Instagram or feel free to email me, JamesL Lewis at Outlook.com.
0: Amazing. So there you go. I would I would highly recommend following this man and trying to catch him while you can because I do think he's destined for big things and unless you live in a glamorous exotic city abroad he's probably online is going to be the best place to catch him because it's quite a travel itinerary you've noted there
1: yeah well hopefully more places next year
0: (laughs) yeah absolutely no but in all serious thank you James I really appreciate your time and your honesty and sharing your knowledge I I think there'll be a lot of value for people to take from this And, and you're like I said it's it's, as I said in the beginning, it's that rare combination of talent and generosity, always offering to help people. And like I said, I, I always enjoy watching your videos. So all I can do is wish you uh, a positive and uh, fruitful 2019. And let me know when the course is uh, up there because I'm going to sign up and check it out.
1: Thank you so much, Dad. You've been great. Great to talk to you. I really appreciate your uh, insight, your nice questions, and your kind words.
0: Um, yeah, like I said, it's I'm I'm really thrilled to have you on. It's really good. Uh, the audience are lucky people to have the access to this quality of, of guest and um, yeah, big plans for next year so all I can say is yeah, I'll I'll keep you all updated and just yeah thank you and again with the our uh, time has value stuff, I'll keep working on people to pitch that too and uh, again if anyone wants to share any stories and keep that movement alive, I think that's important as well
1: Definitely, yeah well thanks again have a great day and uh, no problem. all the best
0: Brilliant, thanks James I'll talk to you soon yeah. That
1: means- yeah. Sure.